0: This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church, located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read the scripture this morning to start. If you'd read along with me, we're looking at the call of Abraham this morning. Um, The title of our message is Building on a Promise. As we read through chapter 12, you can imagine your name in there. And we'll explain this, but let's let's read through this together. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring I will give this land so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai to the east there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for, he, for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she, as she, was, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summons Abram and said, what have you done to me? He, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. <clears throat> All right. So as you can see in this room, we're in the middle of... Uh, building project. And as you drove here you probably came through a road close sign. And that, that road close sign uh, out there on Cedarburg Road um, indicates that they're also working and that is in progress. And so around us we're familiar with building projects. <clears throat> uh, when the road out there is done, it's going to better serve its design and its purpose of handling the 10 to 15,000 commuters that go down there each day. Um, and in this room, of course, we're, we're nearing completion of all the upgrades that we have and the designs that we had for this building. Uh, and when we see a building project, we understand uh, that it moves forward. And and there's a design involved and the workers are checking the plans constantly to see that everything is shaping up the way it's supposed to. And our faith is a lot like that. So this morning, we're going to ask ourselves, when's the last time we've checked the blueprints on our faith journey? When's the last time uh, we've verified that we are on track? Um, Because what if I said hypothetically... That all of a sudden, everything you see around you, there's some good progress here, but then it became stuck, and we're not doing it anymore right now. How would we feel? We'd be alarmed. We'd be like, is that ugly pink paper going to stay on the stage forever? (laughs) What about that road clothes project? What if that, all of a sudden, the city of Mequon stopped working on it and just became stalled, and for no reason, uh, it just never went anywhere? we'd have that same feeling. This isn't how things are supposed to be. I'm counting on the building project. I'm counting on the workers to continue moving it forward with the design. Uh, And the way they do that is they check back. What is the design? What's the intended purpose? What What are the blueprints say? So this morning, are our lives proceeding as designed? Are we stuck? Uh, we're going to look at our faith lives and look through chapter 12 as our blueprints. Uh, we're going to see the very first foundation of our blueprints is how God calls us, similar to Abraham. And then our second point this morning, we're going to look at our responses, three possible responses to God's call for us. And then our third point this morning is to see how God's promises and his design for us will prevail uh, no matter what our responses are. <clears throat> so what we start with is God calls us. That is our foundation. When the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, uh, Abraham responded to God's call. And I want you to get the setting here for a minute. Let's Let's think about... Ancient Egypt, uh, ancient times, uh, the, the ancient Middle East, Abraham lived back then. He was a direct descendant of Noah. In fact, they were both alive at the same time for about 60 years. This chapter begins at a time that was just 350 years after the flood. It's about 450 years before the time of Moses. And the call of Abraham occurred while he was living in Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq. And the city that God started his call from was called Ur. And when he heard that call, his first journey was northwest to a city called Haran. And both Ur and Haran were idol-worshiping cities. The center of of that city was was worshiping the moon god. Uh, In the time of Abraham over in Canaan land, you would have found very fertile valleys. Uh, There would have been city states, uh, places that would have had a wall around them for protection. Uh, In the city, that would have been their center for worship and commerce and trading and the things like that that you would expect. And then right outside the city walls uh, would have been nomadic tribal clans and they would graze their livestock and move them around looking for food, for water. And those tribal clans uh, would probably have a home base somewhere where they would bury their loved ones, and that burial site would be the one thing that they would, they would own in a permanent location. <clears throat> it's about 2,000 years before Christ. So we see Abraham's called, and he's given three directions, to leave. His call starts with a leaving. Leave from your country, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Uh, He's also given three promises to lay a hold of. God promises to make him into a great nation. God promises to make his name great. And God promises that all the people on earth will be blessed through him. So he's got three things he needs to leave. And the parallels are the three promises. Let's look how they compare. Leave your country. Abraham needs to leave his country... That original place that he's from, his own earthly nation, because God is going to have something better. A great nation that God builds. He's got to leave behind the nation he's from. He's going to uh, take a hold of God's promises that God's going to make him into a great nation later, the nation of Israel. And, and uh, that might even extend f- further than that as you see what God has in store for the promises of Israel. So, But for now, we're thinking the great nation that Abraham will become. So the second thing, he asks him to leave his people. And God will make him a blessing to all people. And what this means is that there is no longer the idea that Abraham has his people, or how it's phrased from God, your people. And then there's other people. There's not your people and then other people. God wants Abraham to be a blessing to all people. So from God's eyes, Abraham now needs to identify, associate with all people. He's no longer from the earthly idea of this is my group and there's other people. He's, bl- he's now looking at all people as recipients of the blessing that God's promising to him. And the third thing says, leave your father's household and God will make your name great. He is is leaving behind his identity with an earthly father in order to gain an identity with a heavenly father. He is leaving the inheritance of his earthly family in order to be a part of God's inheritance and God's family, and so we see these promises and their corresponding ways He was leaving, and you know, for the sake of extending this into uh, the, the, the the plans of God, we know that those promises that Abraham's receiving right now are actually part uh, of a whole chain of promises. Uh, these promises are a, a God's progressive revelation. Uh, throughout time, ever since creation, God had intended when he made mankind to be have a close relationship with us. And since sin in the garden and the separation that has happened to all of human nature, God has worked through these promises gradually to reveal his specifics plan <clears throat> all the way from the time of Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, through the nation of Israel and the prophets, um, and later, even as Jesus, after he rose from the dead, explained uh, on the road to Emmaus. All these are a part of a continuum of promises. Uh, and, and we're just seeing the, the small part here in Genesis 12. But these, these promises carry through. They are, they are how we have our Savior. They are how we have salvation. And so Jesus, at his time, he would give the simple command to come and follow me as his call. And so, similar to Abraham, who's God calling right now, and that's the foundation of his faith journey, for us, our answer to the call is the same as that we hear Jesus saying, come and follow me. Now, Abraham didn't even know where he was going when he started following God. And for us, when, we, when Jesus called his disciples, it was a very simple call to trust me, to follow me. So answering the call is to accept that Christ is the one who has sacrificed his life as a payment for our sins. And through Christ's work alone can God establish a relationship with us. So if you accept these truths and you've asked God into your heart and believe that he loves you, has died for you, and promises eternal life to all who believe, that is to accept salvation and that is the first step in the life of a Christ follower. And we're checking our blueprints, that is, the, that is the foundation, that is the starting point. And for those of us who want to build on this call, we need to remember the decision of Abraham to remove any of those bonds that infringe on the predominance of God and what God is going to promise to do. You ha- he, Abraham had to leave behind in order to build, okay? He had to start new on the new promises of God. And our building involves leaving the old way and to build on something better. Leaving the earthly and building according to the heavenly way. And Jesus echoes this in Matthew 19, verse 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So just, so that's the call. And then Abraham had, from that call, three promises. And we're going to look at our similar promises. First, God calls us to belong to the church, to be and be a part of the great body of Christ. Just like Abraham was to be a part of a great nation, we are part of the great body of Christ in the church, which is the dwelling place of God. This body supports itself it cares for itself and has christ at the head so our first promise is to belong to the church our second promise is that god calls us to a heavenly inheritance we will be blessed with eternal life in heaven and our inheritance that is in the name of christ you see how this parallels abraham abraham left behind the earthly name the earthly inheritance for the heavenly and so we have that same type of promise At the moment of salvation, we are considered sons and daughters of God, and we cannot lose this place in God's family. We are born again. And our third promise that is similar is that God calls us to be a blessing to all people. We help proclaim God's kingdom as a part of the church. It is through this promise that we build our lives upon God's promise into the lives of others. Even to the ends of the earth. All p- individuals are our people. <clears throat> when we l- look at God's call to us and those promises, Matthew chapter 7 says it best when it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mind and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So let's look at our responses. First through the eyes of Abraham in chapter 12. So Abraham went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So right now, Abraham is obeying. He's showing faith. He's traveling great distances. From Ur to Haran was around 600 miles. He didn't have a car, by the way. Even if, even the road might have been closed. But uh, from Haran to Shechem was over 300 miles. And then Abraham traveled as far as that great tree of Moray at Shechem. And then at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And right now, Abraham's actually going south. And there's, there's fertile valleys on each side. And he's probably kind of staying in the, in the ridge of the mountains. And he's looking out. And he's looking out at the people in this foreign land. And he's understanding that God's promised this land to me and the descendants that I will have. He doesn't have any children right now. But he's exploring God's promise. He's setting foot out there. And as we can see, the Lord appeared to him in verse 7 and said to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. In verse 8, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar and he called on the name of the Lord. So what is the significance of building an altar? We see that Abraham's done this twice now. Well, he's taken and obeyed God's promise. And now as he's stopped, he wants to commemorate and worship God. And he builds an altar. And the purpose of an altar is to sacrifice to God. And what what is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is offering to God. Usually something that wasn't already uh, designed for that purpose. You take it from its original purpose and now it's been given to God. It's a sacrifice. Abraham has God's purposes in mind. Abraham gave up and sacrificed his life to follow God. These sacrifices are meaningful to call, the God's call on Abraham's life. And in verse 8, it says he called on the name of the Lord. And the Hebrew word that uh, is this verb is a very common verb. It's found many times in the Old Testament. And, it, and most often it's used to, uh, to, uh, to mean something that's out loud. Like if I were calling uh, to uh, John or, or to Steve, I'm calling out, I'm proclaiming, I'm verbally out loud um, using that, that, uh, that expression. It's not that he called on God in, in quiet and prayer and private. So he's calling on God. So most likely, as he's built this altar in this foreign land, and people are curious about him, and he's, he's been adding to his household, that he's setting up his worship site and his altar, and that as he's doing this, people are there. And he's proclaiming God's name, and he's proclaiming God's promises, and, he's, uh, and, and the faith of those who are hearing uh, might be being added to, to hear, well, as they hear that God, Abraham's proclaiming God's name uh, and calling on him. And that's more than likely what's happening here. And from there, <clears throat> Abraham set out and continued toward the, the Negev. And, right, and so what we saw so far is that Abraham's response has been of faith, okay? Okay. And he has these landmarks in his life now to show what his, how far his faith has brought him. We saw the distance, and then he built the altar, and he saw the distance, and he built the altar, and now he has these faith landmarks. And he's had blessings uh, with, when, where God was near to him, okay? And he's added in, to, to his household. But now we're going to see a different response. Uh, this is where Abraham shows some fear, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Uh, the Egyptians are going to uh, kill me to, in order to take you. So I want you to lie with me. I want you, I, I want you to, to, to tell them the half-truth. Uh, that you're my sister. And so they came up with this plan. And when they got to Egypt, it went kind of as Abraham thought. Indeed, they noticed her beauty. They said their uh, half-truth. And then Sarai was taken to Pharaoh's palace. Um, this doesn't go very well. and I, If you're following God's promises... I'm not really sure where Abraham was thinking this was going to end up, okay? All right, so, so he's alive, okay? But he, how is this helping build on God's promise? He's supposed to have an inheritance through his sons and daughters, and now his wife is the wife of Pharaoh. Um, Abraham can't be building on God's promise at this point. Um, he's, he's supposed to be made, made into a great nation. He's supposed to bless all people, but the people he's around he's just lied to. Uh, his family is now split apart, and here he is in Egypt, okay? So, let, let, let's, so his fear led him into these bad decisions, and, so, and when we see what happens here next, and, and we just kind of have a clue here, is that Abraham, in verse 16, was treated well for her sake, And even in a a later verse, it says he became very wealthy. All right, Abraham acquired, and then notice the detail in verse sixteen: acquired sheep, and cattle, and donkeys, male and female. And servants, male and female, and camels. So there's some time that's going by right now. The severe famine that's out there. uh, We wouldn't call it a severe famine if it was only a short time. So I'm imagining years have have been gone by. And what is happening with Abraham all over these years, as God's promises are just kind of going nowhere? I don't. I don't see him react in alarm. I can only imagine that he's just completely stuck and that maybe uh, he's just grown complacent. After all, he's got a lot of money. He's in a place that there's food and a lot of the world right now doesn't have any food and he's got a lot of money and he's in Egypt, he is uh, one of the more advanced kingdoms right now and with his resources he can entertain himself and he's Kind of like good friends with Pharaoh. And he's, at the, he's kind of at the top of the social status. And maybe he's just complacent right now. And he's not he can't think about what, what, what it means to be building off God's promises anymore. Because he's not crying out to God for help. He's not coming up with any any way to, to build anymore. He just got stuck. <clears throat> And even if he, if he did think of something, what would he do? He'd go to Pharaoh's door and say, oh, by the way, I just wanted to tell you something about something I used to tell you. But now, I, if he was scared of being killed before, I can only imagine uh, what that would look like now. So if Abraham's response went from the bad decision of fear to a place of compl- complacency. We don't know that he's remembering uh, what God could be doing for him right now. And what are our responses? when we have the promises of God? What does it look like for us when we work? Oh, when we walk in faith? Well, in faith we enjoy many things. We, we get to act on God's behalf. We are in unity with his spirit to love others and be a blessing in their lives. We pursue God's mission of adding to his kingdom. We overcome sin and death and become holy as he is holy. There is peace, joy, and love flowing through our lives. And although we face trials, we consider them pure joy as we exercise our faith. This is our, when we are walking in faith on God's promises, when we are building on his promises. But in order to live in faith and grow, we, can, we understand that we need to exercise our faith. And so we understand that our world does not stop throwing us into situations that involve unpleasantness, difficulty, or adversity. And this earthly realm made of imperfect people will indeed be imperfect. And our circumstances will be challenging. And the people in our lives will be challenging. But our all-knowing, all-powerful God will be ready and with us, reminding us that the promised land is to come. And that would be our faith response. But in fear, how do we we act? We want to preserve ourselves instead of proclaiming the name of God. And we scheme. And we live cautiously. We don't want to be rejected. And we put up walls. And fear can cause unbelief we stop looking at God and seeing his character and the and the and the things that he can do. We see potential failure instead of a promise being fulfilled. We are focused on the cares of this world. How secure are we? Will we get the things we want? We view our relationships and resources from a human perspective instead of viewing ourselves as ambassadors and as stewards. That would be the, the per response and the perspective of fear. And then there's complacency. Have we entered this state of being? Have we not realized where we ended up or how we got here? Did a fear decision sidetrack our faith? Have we ceased building on God's promises and started making decisions based on our desires and comforts. Now I realize, hey, we're all in church this morning. How complacent could we be? Well, <laughs> uh, Abraham, he, he is listed as, as one of the pillars of faith. And he responded, leaving it all behind. And yet that season of his life happened in Egypt. He got stuck there. We, we all can get stuck there. And so we ask ourselves these questions. How many of life's decisions are based on what would make us happy? How many of life's decisions are based on advancing in God's promises? Think about those two things. How many of life's decisions are based on what makes me happy? Versus how many of my decisions are based on advancing God's promises? And that's why we're checking these blueprints to see, are we going in the right direction with our faith? Are we building on the three promises that God has given to us? Now let's look at God's responses and how uh, God's promise, how that prevails in these three responses. Okay, so we see in verse 17 that the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. And Pharaoh summoned Abraham, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. And so what is God doing right now? God is providing a rebuke to Abraham from the very people Abraham was meant to bless. Abraham was meant to bless all people, right? So here he went to Pharaoh's face, and Egyptian ethics, honesty, was one of the paramount traits. And here Pharaoh, who's probably an honest person, is rebuking God's ambassador who's carrying around the the promises of God. And And God is using Pharaoh, a person of an earthly nation, to rebuke Abraham. And God worked in Pharaoh's life also to show that God was capable of continuing to build on the promises. Remember what Abraham was probably scared of? Now he went through the foreign land of Canaan, right? With faith. He wasn't scared of those people. He was looking at God's promises. But when it came to Egypt, when it came to the mighty Pharaoh, he got scared. Sure, He had to start working overtime to come up with a plan just in case. Just in case God wasn't as strong as his, his circumstances. So God is showing here that Pharaoh and the mighty Egyptian civilization was not going to thwart the ability of God. And God even communicated somehow to Pharaoh the reasons behind the diseases. God's unique actions for this situation provided a witness to Egypt and Pharaoh. Perhaps a witness that Abraham could have been responsible for had he come into Egypt in faith. And simultaneously, God's unique actions guided Abraham back to where he could continue building on God's promises. Look a little bit here in Genesis chapter 13, verses one through four. The faith markers, remember the faith landmarks where Abraham uh, built those altars? Those are quickly found. That's where God has guided him now. Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. And Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold and he journeyed on as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning and the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So God is responding right here in a unique way to accomplish God's purposes and to guide Abraham back to his faith landmarks so that Abraham can continue to build. And let's, But let's look at what God didn't do. Okay, if you if you are associated anyway with fear or complacency, it might be good to understand what God is not going to do, because obviously there's probably not a need for Him to put serious diseases out there in your environment to motivate you. right? there's going to be unique; it's going to be different. So let's see what He did not do. He did not appear. With all of his glory and majesty and force of power into the center of Abraham's life to overwhelm him, to overcome the circumstances, and to cause uh, a a shrinking, uh, uh, demotivated Abraham with his tail uh, to to move along. Right? He didn't. He didn't just part the heavens and come down. And he didn't do this. Because if he'd had done that abraham's ability to have faith would have been taken away. You imagine if God came in all his glory uh, every every time we we did something wrong and, and it just almost in a forceful way we had to get pulled along well we wouldn't grow uh, god did, uh, God also if he would have done that uh, w- would have given Abraham kind of a, if you think of God's nearness and power in that way, touching your life, that's like a blessing, all right? That's a moment of nearness and dearness to your relationship. You don't manipulate God with bad behavior to have him come and show up and make things right and, and, and speak to you and, and be close to you in that such a way. So God did not appear in this forceful, overwhelming, majestic way. In fact, very, very rarely in scripture do we see that kind of occurrence, We also didn't see that God uh, quickly intervened right there. The natural consequences of Abraham's action played out. What else did God not do? He did not explain things to Abraham so that he could understand things better on a cognitive level. He didn't appeal to Abraham's intellect. He didn't just come in and and provide certain information for him so that he could process it in his brain. He didn't provide a motivational moment for Abraham that was to recharge his efforts. He didn't give him that self-help book or that inspirational podcast. He did not curse Abraham. He did not condemn him very harshly at all. He didn't strip away all of his possessions, reconfigure his family. He didn't give him leprosy. The last thing God did not do, he didn't take away any of his promises. God's promises prevailed. He led Abram back to his faith landmark. He let Abram start again from there. He still will be made into a great nation. God will still make his name great. And God will still use Abram to bless all people. So what is our takeaway right now? How, How should we look at that example of God's promises prevailing for us? We should build upon God's promises... And see how he responds to us by three action steps. And these coincide with our fears, our faith, and our complacency. We're gonna start with fears. We need to leave the cares of this world. When we find ourselves in that fear season and we want to instead build on the promises of God, we are gonna leave the cares of this world. God responds to our fears he's going to, by comforting us. He's going to give us confidence. And he's commanding us to fear not. The phrase fear not is used at least 80 times in the Bible. Isaiah 43.1 says, Don't fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And with fear comes anxiety about the things of this world. And Matthew reminds us, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? Now, how does God's promises prevail in our faith season? What is our action step there? We invest in the role in our church. If we're building on God's promises in faith, we are investing in our role in the church. We are involved with the mission of the church The church moves to support us as individuals And to seek and save unbelievers The church is the bride of Christ Anxiously waiting for his return The church is partakers in the kingdom of heaven Which is already upon us And the gift of the Holy Spirit is ours And we are sealed with eternal life The church spreads love to those who need it. The church proclaims the gospel. The church welcomes sinners. The church overcomes the kingdoms of this world. And the promises of God are being carried out in us and through us to prevail against all things. And what if we're stuck? How is God's promise going to prevail? We saw what Abraham did, but this is very specific. What are we going to to do when we're stuck? What's our action step? Well, We're going to work through whatever makes us stuck. God's going to respond to our complacency and guide us back to our faith marker. What is the landmark of faith in your life that you last remember? Was it the last time you invest... When when was the last time you invested into building on God's promises with such faith that you had to trust God was working? Let me say that again. What is the landmark of faith in your life that you last remember? And what was the last time you invested into building on God's promises with such faith that you had to trust that God was at work. Uh, Did you step forth in faith to volunteer in some way? Was it a monetary gift that was sacrificial? Was it a parenting decision? Did you have to pull back from something you enjoyed at God's leading? Did he prompt you to give up something? Did you change something in your family relationship to honor God more? Abraham left it all behind, not knowing where God would take him. Our pursuit of God's promises should lead us to the same sacrifice. We got rid of the old, we are building on that new heavenly promise. What is the sacrifice that God is calling you to? Is God waking you up to the fact that maybe you became stuck and you didn't realize it? Complacency occurs for many reasons. Perhaps you have wounds in your life that require healing in order for you to move forward. I'm not going to ignore the fact that there are many issues in life that don't get resolved by a single sermon. If you listen carefully to what God didn't do with Abraham, you may realize that these are not the things that will help you get unstuck. He didn't try to motivate him with the idea that Abraham could self-help. He didn't try to give him more education just for his, his cognitive and intellectual stimulation. He didn't come and appear with all of his force and his glory and majesty in order to just have Abraham trail behind him without exercising faith because God was right there. He'd have to have sight and see all that God was trying to do. He didn't do those things. And God's probably not going to do those things if we are stuck. <clears throat> God's going to guide us back to our faith landmark. And if we are investing our lives along the lines of God's promise, healthy relationships must be the top or near the top of the list. Now, I can only imagine that Abraham's relationship with Sarah did not restore itself the moment she left Pharaoh's palace. we are called to unity in the body of Christ and God's promises are for us to be working together. So our relationships might need to get unstuck. We're called to be working together in our churches, in our households, and in our world. And Abraham was not to cling to his people. He was to view all people As the recipient of God's blessings? In what ways are we allowing God to make us a blessing to the individuals around us? Is there work to do to show your family love? Is there work to do to show your neighbor love? Is there work to do to know who your neighbor is? Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Samaritan was not supposed to care about this person. He was the other person. He was of a different group of people. They were supposed to, he was supposed to hate them. And Jesus said, that's your neighbor. Is there work to do in your heart to overcome abuse or addiction? Is there work to do mentally or emotionally to be whole again? after living through a season of trials. There are often processes that we must undertake to build our lives on the promises of God. We should not be shy about finding the people that can help us. When we see that road project out there, there's a process that, in that building, right? there. The road was deteriorated. It was cracked. And they went through and they just uh, demolitioned that and carved it up and scooped it up uh, because they understand in order to make the nice road, they got to get rid of some stuff and they got to repair some stuff. And there's a process involved in our lives sometimes. We should not be shy about finding the people that can help us. We should not be slow to invest our lives in the body of believers which can lift us up. When I was nearing the end of my college years, I had a couple of friends who I know had traumatic experiences as children. This is the kind of experience that can do lasting harm to an individual. And I remember them both describing to me that after years of pain and having a part of them not work right, they had a healing experience with God. And being the typical guy friends that we were, that's about the extent of all the details I knew. It's not not a a juicy story here. Um, But I was aware that the childhood incidents they experienced were among the worst kind of a situation that one could go through. And I knew that they described a freedom and a relief from that. And I decided that if God could do that for them, he could do something similar for me. And I didn't know what their healing experience was, And I also assumed that God wouldn't necessarily replicate that for me anyway. But nevertheless, I I pursued God for that. And I prayed for him to do something along those same lines for me. My growing up years left me with scars. And I knew that God could overcome that. So eventually, after some time, God orchestrated this healing for me as well. And the impact of that led me forward on my faith journey to build on God's promises. And I share this story to say that God intends for us to build on his promises, not in a simplistic way where we read a passage or listen to a sermon and become fine. He intends for us to put aside our fears, let our walls down, and with courage step forward into the promise. We will not build our faith on his promises, if we live in isolation or in fear or denial, our response this morning to determine if we are living in faith, is, is we, our response this morning is to determine, are we living in faith, making bad decisions in fear, or stuck in complacency? And the simple thing we need to ask God this morning of is to show us our most recent landmark. The simple thing we need to do this morning is ask God to show us our most recent faith landmark. When God brings us to our most recent faith landmark, he is going to speak the truth of his promises. You still belong to me, my body, the church. You still have a heavenly inheritance. You still will be a blessing to all people. Please ask God, of that. ask God to do this with you this morning and allow someone on the prayer team up front to pray this with you. If you, if you don't have a recent faith landmark that God's bringing to your, your mind, let us pray with you. Now is the time to act courageously to humble yourself before God and simply ask for a prayer that God would bring you back to building on his promises if you are stuck. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful to be a part of your call, to have heard your promises and your truth spoken into our lives, and even though we can be afraid and get stuck. We know that you can guide us back to where you need us to be. And I pray that your spirit this morning uh, would just encourage the hearts of all that have heard this message, uh, that we would continue with fervor uh, to live in faith according to your promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.